Okay, if you have a Bible, if you would open it up with me to the Gospel of Luke. We want to keep uh, our focus, our attention on, on Jesus Christ and the coming of Christ. Last week I talked about Joseph and this announcement that the angel made uh, to him about the coming of Jesus. And this morning I want to focus more on Mary. Uh, Mary, I think, is one of the most intriguing mothers in all of history, right? I mean, very, very early in the church, the church was, was enamored with this idea that Mary was the mother of God, right? When you think about it, because Jesus is God incarnate and Mary was Jesus' mom, that must mean that Mary is the mother of God. And, and it's this fascination with Mary led to all kinds of maybe a little bit weird ideas about her. Uh, some thought that she was also born w- without a sin nature. But then like, well, does that mean her parents were born without a sin nature? And her parents, it gets confusing if you start to like think through that. Uh, some thought that she had never died. She didn't actually pass away. She was just like uh, assumed back up into heaven. Uh, s- some thought that that Mary remained a virgin her whole life and uh, those other like brothers and sisters that it talks about later were just like relatives or kin or something. Uh, so, some even uh, went so far to say that Mary is a co-redeemer with Christ, that she's even somehow part of, of our salvation, our, our redemption. Some of these ideas were adopted by the Catholic Church and, and became entrenched in their teaching. And unfortunately, uh, f- for us as Protestants, in like a reaction against some of the more extreme ideas about Mary, we have sort of relegated Mary to the sidelines. We don't talk about her at all. We don't look at her at all. And we just ignore her. And, and, and while Mary isn't to be worshipped, she's definitely a great example of faithfulness and God's grace. And, and this account of her learning about God's plan of salvation is, is a remarkable one. Let's read it together. Uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26 down through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Ah, It's interesting how the Bible often talks about Mary as being like introspective, pondering, thinking about, dwelling on the things that are happening around her. Okay, now I lost my place. (laughs) The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. And he'll be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. 
Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondservant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This passage begins by telling us just a little bit about uh, Mary's background. Mary was a young girl living in the town of Nazareth. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. Again, we talked about about him last week. Uh, Luke emphasizes the fact that Mary was a virgin. It repeats this fact uh, throughout the passage. And again, if you remember last week, we talked about why this is such an important doctrinal truth. It establishes Jesus' sinless nature. And it shows that He is from God. And the passage here again speaks of the importance of this virgin birth. Uh, Down in verse 34, after the angels explained uh, that Mary's going to become pregnant, she asks... Probably the question anybody would ask at this point. How is that possible since I'm a virgin? Now, I don't think Mary's doubting God here. I don't think she's questioning God's ability in any way. Uh, She's just perplexed because this is an unheard of miracle. The angel answers her this way. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And to me, the the wording of this has always sounded a little harsh. God will overshadow you. But but I think a better understanding of that word overshadow helps us understand how the whole miracle of the virgin birth works. Uh, This is the same kind of language that the Bible uses in other places to talk about the presence of God filling a place. Over in Exodus, as the tabernacle of God is completed and and consecrated, the glory of God fills, overshadows that place. Exodus 40-35, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. His presence was there in this special, unique, different kind of way. Again, on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is revealed in in all of His divine glory to Peter and to James and to John, this overshadowing of God happens again. In Luke 9, it says, while He was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. And they were afraid as they entered that cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Whenever this, this concept of overshadowing takes place, it's always connected with a special, unique manifestation of God. It's another way of saying God is, is here, is present. How is the virgin birth possible? Because the very presence of God descends on Mary just, just like, like He did in, on, on that temple and that tabernacle. Just like He did on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
God is present with her. That's why the angel says, for this reason the holy child will be called the Son of God. Jesus is this miraculous manifestation of God descending to earth and dwelling with His creation in a way unlike God had ever done before. And so I think that's part of the reason why Luke goes to such great lengths to describe the virgin birth. Mary is also an example to us of how grace works. Because God didn't choose Mary for some of the reasons that some people thought. Because she was sinless, or because she was perfect, or because she was somehow uh, the most popular, or the wealthiest, or the best in some way. No, she's, she's just this ordinary young girl. God often chooses the weak and fragile things of the world in order to show His strength. Verse 28, and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The angel addresses her as favored one, one who's found favor with God. And maybe a better translation of favored one uh, would be full of grace. That's the Greek word, that, that kairos, that word that, that's translated grace in most places that's used here. Mary is greeted as one who is filled with God's grace. And that, again, that exact same word is the word that Paul uses to talk about us being saved by grace over in Ephesians 2. We are full of God's grace through the blessings of our salvation through Jesus Christ. And Mary is not, is not necessarily the dispenser of this divine grace as much as she is like one of the greatest recipients of it in all of history. Mary not only receives a saving grace by way of her faith in Jesus, but is ultimately... Ultimately, this, this blessing of getting to be used by God for, for this purpose, which I think is, is part of grace even for us as, as God uh, not, not only graces us with saving grace that, that redeems us and we're forgiven of all of our sins and we're adopted and we're brought back, but then God gives us this, this serving grace, this grace that enables us to be able to do things for Him. A grace that enables us to serve Him in different ways with our lives. The angel declares to Mary, the Lord is with you. Which I think is good because, man, imagine as, as, a, as a, a young girl hearing this news, okay, God's going to overshadow you and you're going to raise the Son of God. Like that's a high calling. That's a bit overwhelming. That would be hard for anybody to, to handle. And you would need to hear the words, God is with you through this. You're not on your own. 
And just like we saw with Joseph last week, God might ask us to do things that seem impossible, but, but He doesn't ask us to do those things all by ourselves. He's always right there to guide us through it. The next thing uh, this angel does is describe to Mary who this child will be. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus, and he'll be great. will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. His name will be Jesus. Just like he told Joseph. You're going to name him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Not not an uncommon name, uh, but with special importance and meaning here. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And this is a term that's, that's used of Jesus in different places. It's, it's, it's kind of a figure of speech that points to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the, the promised one. Jesus is the fulfillment of this plan of redemption that God has been pointing through all through the Old Testament. Jesus is the Christ. But this, this is a title that also identifies Jesus as being completely equal with God, which is an important theological point. Uh, one commentator I read on this passage said, calling a person uh, someone else's son was a way of signifying equality. The angel was telling Mary that her son would be equal to the Most High God. And the angel tells Mary, that God will give Jesus the throne of His father David, and He'll reign over the house of Jacob, and His kingdom would have no end. Again, uh, uh, direct fulfillment of the promises that God had made. Over in 2 Samuel 7, God says to David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you and I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for My name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. If you've ever wondered why why Matthew's Gospel begins with a, a genealogy, it's to show that Jesus is in this line of David. And especially important for Matthew's Jewish audience because they knew that the Messiah was supposed to come from this line of David. Just a, like a, a side note, somebody asked me this question last week. Uh, in Matthew, you have the, the genealogy of Joseph, right? But how does that work? Because technically, Joseph isn't his real dad, right? <laughs> so... A couple answers to that. One, uh, still, like legally, Joseph is Jesus' adoptive father, so that would count. But in the Gospel of Luke, just a couple chapters over in Luke chapter 3, there's another genealogy. And this genealogy, most commentaries believe, is, is of Mary. 
And it still traces back to David. So no matter how you look at it, Jesus is in this royal line of David. He fulfills this prophecy perfectly. Isaiah 9.6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. When I read that, it it seems like the words of the angel echo that promise. Here in Luke 1.32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Jesus came to establish this kingdom of God. He came uh, teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. He came uh, to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. And right now, Jesus reigns as the anointed king. And we know that there's going to be a time when he's going to come back and establish His uh, earthly reign that will last forever, fully and completely revealed as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and take His rightful seat on the throne. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul, Paul tells us, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God and the Father after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ is our Lord. And our King. He's already broken the power of death. He's already opened up the way to eternal life. And one day He's going to come back and put an end to all the kings and the authorities and the rulers and the presidents and everything else. Wipe away all sin and death forever. This little child, Mary, holds all of the promise and all of the hope of God. Man, again, what, what a weight to carry. This, this passage closes with Mary responding with amazing humility and faithfulness. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of your Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. This is just a a response of complete trust and submission in the face of a very, very high calling. This is is an acknowledgement that Mary trusts God and will cling to Him no matter what happens next. 
So th- this is a statement that shows yeah, that even in the face of, of likely shame and scorn and humiliation and abuse by others, Mary trusts God to take care of her. Man, if only all of us could respond to God's calling in our life with the same level of humility and faith. If only we could look into the face of hardship and humiliation and and difficulty and, and instead of saying, no, God, I can't do it. I just can't. If we could just say, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. God, whatever your word says, whatever your will is, that's what I want to be done in my life. That's what I want to shine through in my life is whatever you say. Now, God might not ask you to raise the Messiah, uh, but he will ask you to do things that will stretch you to your limit. Just like Mary, each one of us is full of grace. God gives us that grace to accomplish his will. And at all times, in all things, in all ways, may we consider ourselves as humble bond slaves of the King of Kings. Uh, this this time of year, Christmas time, is it's fun, it's exciting. It's especially exciting for us, I think. I think we get to enjoy it more as Christians because we understand just what's at stake, just what it means, just what God has done. And so we, I don't know about you, but I, I love the fact that wherever we go, like we're hearing Christmas songs in stores and on the radio that we can turn on like the classic rock station and they're playing songs about Jesus. I love that. Uh, that aren't by the Doobie Brothers. Uh, <laughs> everywhere we go, we're reminded of the fact that we have this great, awesome Savior and Lord. But man, for a lot of people that don't believe, uh, this is just a, I don't know, a time that's filled with lots of family traditions. But a lot of people just mock this idea of God becoming one of us reject the whole idea of the virgin birth and the deity of Jesus and the whole miracle of, of God with us and in their, their hearts just declare that can't be. There's no way. That's just too far-fetched. That's impossible. But then we have the angel's words in verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. Oh man, if we believe that, it'll change our whole lives. Absolutely nothing is impossible with God. God, I thank you again for your word and for the encouragement contained in here. Thank you for the example of Mary, this young girl who was willing to be used by you no matter what. And God, I pray the same in our lives that we would be humble and that we would submit to your will and that we would trust You. Thank You again, dear God, for sending us a Savior. Thank You for Jesus who came to suffer and die for us. Thank You, God, that simply through faith in Him, we are saved. What a blessed time. God, again, give us opportunities to share that hope and that joy 
with the people who are all around us shopping and listening to these songs of hope. Help us to point people to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.